Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. Let's get into the work. So a question that I get asked often, um, and probably for anyone here that has tried to like talk to friends and family that aren't Christians, you get asked the question often, and it's an age-old question, but why does God allow bad things to happen? right? Is that something you've heard before? We have books written on it. It's a common topic. People just don't know how to grapple with that question. More specifically, the question is, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? That's usually the way it's said. The funny thing is, is as I was typing out my sermon, I wrote, why does God, and it auto-filled, Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I was like, that's crazy that uh, my computer already knew where my brain was going. So um, crazy on a couple levels. So we won't get into that, though. But we know that that is something that is a sad reality, is a difficult reality. And it's a question that stops people into really trusting and believing in God. And if I'm being honest, there's been plenty of times in my own life where I've really questioned God with that same statement, like, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? I remember the first time I actually said that question out loud. I was seven years old with my mom, and my grandfather had just died. And I said, but why would God allow this to happen? And I give my mom a lot of credit, because I don't know how... I could have answered that question to a seven-year-old. But it was actually my grandfather's diagnosis of cancer, and it was a really painful experience for him that actually led my family to seek out God deeper than their Catholic traditions. It really was a pivotal moment in my family's history where we came to know Christ and know him personally beyond just sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning. After that, there was some more tragedy. I remember distinctly my uncle being diagnosed with cancer, and that was a really hard time for us again. It was cancer struck a second time, and we were like, not this again. And we were Christians at the time, so we kind of handled it a little differently. We did it the way we knew to do it, which was just nonstop prayer meetings. We would have 30 or 40 people over at a time. They would circle around, and as a kid, these prayer meetings felt like they went on forever. But we pleaded with God. We begged begged God, like, God, please heal my uncle. When he passed away, it was difficult for my family, to say the least. It was sad. As an adult, I experienced more tragedy from dear family members. I won't get into too many details because I won't be able to keep it together. So I was like, I know my limits. That's all I can say. But there were difficult times for me, for my family. They were just hard days. They were dark days, days filled with a lot of crying, just difficult times of saying like, God, but why? Why have you allowed things to happen this way? And we all know that everyone is going to pass, but when you see someone suffer and in pain, it was, it was hard. It tested our faith. We were believing for a miracle, and it was hard when those miracles didn't come to pass. So, What a depressing way to start a sermon. I'm so sorry, but trust me, hang in there. It gets, it gets better. 
I do believe that a lot of times it's those extremes of emotion when we're dealing with sadness or even great joy that those things remind us that we're kind of all the same, even though we're all very unique and have different perspectives, different upbringings, different opinions. It's those types of experiences that kind of just bring you back to your, your default settings of like, man, this is hard. And we all have to encounter those moments in life. We all experience pain, sadness, disappointment. Those days will come. We know that for sure. But I will say this. One of two things is always going to be true. Either the experiences that bring pain and sadness and disappointment shape our understanding of God. And every time we go through those difficult times, we have an expectation because of of the pain that we're dealing with. It shapes how we see the situation. It shapes how we believe how God will intervene or he won't intervene. You could just approach life strictly from your pain. Or secondarily, our understanding of God and who he is is the perspective that helps us to understand the pain and the sadness and the disappointment. The gospel, and the gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is not just a message that applies to the good days, or the good years, or the few good hours that you may be having in your day, but instead it's the lifeline that brings us hope in the bad days. On the day of resurrection, the first Easter, we talked about this last week, right? We celebrated Easter. It was an incredible sermon by Pastor Eric where we learned that Jesus revealed himself to Mary and she thought he was a gardener. I think we're going to always envision Pastor Eric in the gardener jumpsuit, right? But in the book of Luke, we hear another story, and we're going to read that and go through that together this morning. Luke recounts the story of two individuals who were walking from Jerusalem on the day, the first Easter, to a village called Emmaus. And they were kind of deep in their feelings. They were experiencing all of the emotions, and we'll read why. You You can follow along with me. It's up on the screens. If you have a Bible on your phone or with you, Uh, You can pull this open, Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. 
They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. I find this story so interesting that after revealing himself to Mary, Jesus chooses to reveal himself to these two individuals walking to a town named Emmaus. Now, there's a tradition and commentators that believe that one of these people, Cleopas, was actually Jesus's uncle, which is kind of interesting, right? They, they say that he is Joseph's brother. So Jesus would be his nephew from the father's side. And okay, we don't know that for, sh- for sure, but a lot of commentators would agree on that. I always envision this as like two guys walking down the street, but some people even suggest that it was Cleopas and his wife. So potentially the uncle and aunt of Jesus. We don't know that for sure, but um, we can kind of speculate a little bit on that. I just think it's so strange that of all of the people that Jesus could have gone to reveal himself to, it was to these two people. Even if Cleopas was his uncle, and think about it from his perspective for a moment, having just witnessed his nephew brutally killed must have been incredibly difficult and traumatic to experience in and of itself. But by his own omission, Cleopas was saying, but we had hoped that this guy was the one that was going to save us all, that he was going to answer generations, hundreds of years of prayers. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to do it. So not only is he mourning the death of a nephew, but he is mourning the death of a dream, of a hope, and he doesn't know what to do with it. Even if he is family, Like, as a mom now, (laughs) I would be like, Mary was alive. So there was probably so many other people that Jesus could have gone to see. These two people aren't even considered to be a part of the, at this point, 11 disciples. So you have so many people that technically, from a strictly a status standpoint, you would expect Jesus would reveal himself to them, make a point to go to them, the ones that were on the inner circle, but instead, he doesn't even go see his mother. I'd be like, I'm sorry? Like, how many people did you go visit before you came to see me, your own mother? Like, I would have a personal, I would be insulted, but Jesus found purpose and reason to be there. And that says so much about the character of our God that is consistent throughout all of Scripture from the Old to the New Testament. The character of God in the Bible that we see, and Jesus says this on his Sermon on the Mount, he uses a parable where he talks about a shepherd that leaves the 99 to go find the one. Some of my favorite stories in scripture, and I'm gonna share them with you, I'm gonna be super quick, but I love these stories. They all have some sort of significance for me, but they're testimonies of how God is looking to the individual. We sometimes think that we are lost in the crowd, that God doesn't see me, I have no significance to him, but we see over and over and over again that oftentimes the most, the least significant is the one that the Lord is drawing himself to. 
We see in the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories in scripture, a story of Hagar, a woman that was abused, that was battered, that just had nowhere to turn. And by one encounter with God, where he revealed himself to her, her life was changed forever. And she left there the queen of a nation. He empowered her through that one encounter. He sought her out to make sure that she was okay. Another story in the, the New Testament, Nathaniel was one of Jesus' own disciples, but one we don't hear a lot about Nathaniel, so you know you could consider him one of like the lesser known disciples. The story of how Nathaniel was called to be a disciple is such a cool story where he is sitting under the fig tree and uh, the Lord says to him, I saw you even when you were sitting there before someone even told you about him about me. I saw you and I was with you before you even knew about me. What a good like testimony of that is that, that like before we even can check in with God, he's already clued in right with us. His presence is there with us. The last one, and this was my favorite one as a kid, I loved learning about the little like squirmy tax collector guy in the New Testament, Zacchaeus who basically was like a traitor to his own people. He was only looking out for his own comfort, his own interests. He was securing his position while all of his countrymen were basically becoming enslaved to the people that were governing their land. And yet Jesus, this guy did not deserve it by anyone's estimation, but yet Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. There's not one person in this room that the Lord wouldn't fight for. To draw close to you, to be close to you, to draw him, to draw you near to him, he's looking for that one. The one that has gone astray, he has made the effort. He said these words to Zacchaeus in his encounter with him, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek, to seek them out. Earlier in the book of Luke, it said, uh, Jesus answered and said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the right, I have not called to come the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you're here today, or if you're watching on live stream, I want to assure you that it's not because all of a sudden one day you decided that you needed God in your life. You may think that. You might think, okay, one day I kind of realized I needed religion. But it doesn't, we may think we're the ones that are making the first move. But God is the one that is drawing you to him. He's been working on you. He's been making an effort to draw you to him. He took the time to pull you in. Guys, it is no accident. Anything but in fact, we should not underestimate the value God has on us, and we cannot overestimate the desire that he has to walk alongside with us. Jesus left his reality. In the book of Philippians, there's beautiful, like, poetic language that talks about how he left the splendor of heaven to take on this. Like, I'm starting to get, I'm getting older and I'm starting to get aches and pains. It's like the cliche. Isn't it sad that we all just become the cliche? You're like, okay, I thought I was gonna move past this a little bit more gracefully. 
Jesus took on flesh. He left all of the splendor, all of the free passes that he had in heaven because of the value that each of you has for him. Blinded by their grief and despair, these two individuals had no idea that the prophet that they hoped would save them was walking alongside them and was about to change their lives for all of eternity. We're going to keep reading in the book of Luke, picking up with verse 25, Jesus now speaks. He says to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Although told on so many different occasions, the followers of Jesus, even though he tried to teach them and help them to understand who he was and the the real purpose that he came to accomplish, they didn't get it. They didn't get that he had to suffer and die. To them, that didn't make sense. If you're here to save us, why would you have to die? So if they didn't understand the fact that he was going to have to lay his life down, they sure did not understand that he was going to be raised from the dead. They knew about Jesus. They saw potential in him. They thought, okay, he's the man. He's the guy that's finally going to set us free. But they didn't have a full understanding of who he really was. Jesus was not a man that just showed up on the scene one day and got it right. He's not one of many that just happened to just somehow know the right things to say, the right interactions to have. He's not like an influencer that's like, you know, staging things. You know, have you ever seen those videos of like, you see the background of all these influencers and it's a lit candle, a beautiful canvas, a perfect hot cup of tea, and then they turn the camera and the house just looks like garbage. Like he wasn't staging things in and of his own power. He wasn't looking to manipulate anything. He had greater purpose, and there was so much leading up to what he accomplished. It wasn't a one-time fix. And a lot of times, and I'll say this of myself, we look to Jesus as a quick fix to our problems. He's not a quick fix. Often we hear the argument from people that Jesus is, will solve all your problems. So go to church, start praying, start reading your Bible, and you'll see, like, Jesus is going to help you. If you got a substance abuse problem, you need Jesus. He'll set you free. Are you having problems in your marriage? Okay, you need Jesus because he's going to be able to restore that relationship. He'll make a way. He'll figure it out for you. Are you broke? You don't know how you're going to pay your next rent or your car payment or your mortgage? Go to church. Believe in Jesus. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. He will fix the problem. And thank God that in each of these statements, there is truth. 
He invades our reality in such a powerful way that the circumstances of our life can change because of who he is. There is truth to all of these things. But what ends up happening sometimes, and I think it, it's a temptation for us, is that when we get so fixated on the results, that when the results don't take place in the way that we wanted them to, we begin to wrestle with God. We begin to question, like, well, wait, wait a minute. I thought, like, you're all powerful, so how come you haven't fixed this? All of a sudden, a loved one dies. Or we begin to fall behind on our bills or our relationships aren't getting better and the person walks out the door. Our trust in Jesus begins to weaken and dissipate and we're like, God, but I thought you were the answer to all of my problems. Instead, if we begin to understand that Jesus isn't just the answer to my everyday problems, even the big problems, but instead to see Jesus as the answer to the problem, the overarching problem that without him, every person in this room, every person in history, every person going forward in the future would be completely destitute. We have a much bigger problem that Jesus came to fix. Who Jesus is and what he puts and what he puts the struggles not going to read that. doesn't make sense. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus takes the time to go with these two and walk alongside with them. He was a result of 400 years worth of prophecy. So many prophets that came and spoke of a coming redeemer foretelling his coming. He was there to solve the problem, not just for the everyday things, but to give me and you a relationship with God, which a relationship with God is the sustaining force that helps put in perspective all of those things, all of those ailments, all of those sicknesses, all of those problems. It all of a sudden shapes how we deal with them because of who God is because of the standing that we now have in the presence of God because of what Jesus accomplished. Alistair Begg, he's a current day pastor in Cleveland, Ohio. Some of you might listen to him on the radio. He's written quite a few books, a very intellectual, smart man. He said, the confidence of heaven is in the word of God. Meaning that God was masterful from the very beginning. Jesus wasn't just a plan B that he threw together. You and I do that, right? Plan A doesn't work, okay, moving on to plan B. Plan B didn't work, okay. We are just constantly pivoting, right? Pivot was like the word for COVID, like that's not working, so we gotta do this, and we're constantly adjusting. God doesn't operate that way. He had a masterful, purposeful, patient, meticulous, detailed plan that he was going to bring forward whether people were going to like it or not. And we were able to put our hope in it and our trust in it. He was not impulsive. He was not reactive. But instead, God was methodically throughout all of history working to bring the perfect plan of Jesus that he would be our redeemer. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for as many are the promises of God, 
in him they are yes. Meaning Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all the promises of God. He had a work to do that went so beyond our day to day. He had something that was a spiritual, that was an eternal problem that we needed solving for you and for me. But sometimes we do, we get very short-sighted and we see like there's like almost like a block. There's a wall in front of us. And God is saying like, I am looking to do so much more in your life. And I'm not trying to diminish the fact that we have real problems in this world. When we're dealing with sickness, when we're dealing with uh, the potential of losing livelihoods, when we're just dealing with like the constant frustration of a a day-to-day problem, like these are real things. They're not like little things. I'm not trying to say fake it till you make it because Jesus is good. I'm saying that God has a way of intervening because he has already intervened in the most crucial, important aspect of our lives that he has given us a place in heaven to stand before an almighty God. And that puts everything else within the proper perspective. So when things seem shaky and things seem unpredictable, and when you look around and you're like, I don't see anything changing. I don't see anything looking any different. This is just gonna be my reality now. It's a tunnel. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm looking around on every side and I don't see any relief coming. We can look up. Look up because our help comes from the Lord because he, Jesus, is the fulfillment of every single promise in scripture. The enemy of our souls of you and I, he did not win on that day of Easter, on Good Friday where he thought that he gained some victory because he thwarted God's plan. He had no victory that day. So nothing has changed. If he wasn't able to stop God's plan then, he is not able to stop God's plan today. We're gonna keep reading in the book of Luke, uh, verse 28. As they approached the village that they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then the seas parted. Everything just like shown around him. I'm totally adding my own text here. But the Bible says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Like, ta-da! And then he disappeared. Like, I'd be like, wait, where'd he go? Where'd he go? They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he, wa- while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those who, with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has, had appeared to Simon. Then the two who had happened Then the two told them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What a good ending to that story. These two people, Cleopas and his traveling companion, traveling, just devastated, downcast. These people now, all of a sudden, who had already walked seven miles, that's a lot. How many walkers do we have in the room? Walkers, runners, okay, we got one. 
if I, <laughs> all right, good. Leota's with me, just Leota. <laughs> okay, they had just walked seven miles. I'm sure they did not have the best shoes with arch support. Um, there had, I mean, I don't wanna like make it bigger than it is, but these two people, as soon as they found out who Jesus was and take, instead of taking the time to rest and even eat, they couldn't even sleep on it. They had to run back to Jerusalem the way they had just came because all of a sudden, everything was different. Everything changed for them in that instant. They didn't care about sleep. They didn't care about food. They had to get back to Jerusalem because all of a sudden, a dead man was alive. They had seen him brought back to life. What they had hoped for was all of a sudden within reach. Jesus was no longer the prophet, but their deliverer. I want to suggest something to you guys today. And that is that there's a difference between hoping and trusting in Jesus. I hope Jesus does this for me. I hope he heals my friend I hope he helps me meet the right one. I hope he gets, helps me get the job that I deserve. He knows, he knows I need a good job, that I've been dealing with such and such, and I just really need a job. He knows that I need this promotion. He knows that I need more time off. Jesus, I'm hoping you come through for me. I'm hoping you turn my situation around. I'm, Jesus, I am hoping that you give me a breakthrough. Some of you may even came in today like, Jesus, I hope it's a good service. I hope, I hope the coffee's good in the cafe because I need some caffeine. I hope that person doesn't come and talk to me because I do not have the patience today. We're, we're hoping and hoping. And listen, none of these things are bad to hope for. The Bible tells us to hope for these things, that hoping in Jesus is the proper place for us to desire and, and, and to have an expectation of. But they're only, these are the components that make up our life, but the greatest joy in life. When we are not, although we hope in the Lord, we still are willing to lay on his sovereignty and trust in him that if they don't, things don't go according to plan, that your relationship with the Lord, that your place before God does not change. Even though circumstances of life may be difficult, they may be hard, they may be longer than expected, but we have a place before God. Do we not realize how amazing that is? That these things in life will pass away. The difficult times will come and go. We can cling on to Jesus through all of those because he has already proven that he is not just a prophet, that he is not just a good guy that's gonna give you a little bit of a, just a little bit to keep going. It's not like he's throwing down his crumbs just to keep you tied to him, but he has pulled us alongside him as a co-heir we get to stand before God completely clean. All of the things that you're struggling with and you're like, it's almost like it's tarnishing me. It's almost like it's ruining me before God. But Jesus said, I have solved that problem. I love you. You have value in my eyes. I have solved that problem for you. You can stand before God clean. And now all of a sudden the things of this world, they may be difficult, but he gives us the grace. 
He gives us the mercy that we could carry on. It goes beyond hope. And instead, we can say that Jesus is the bread of life. He will feed me and satisfy me like nothing else. He's the light of the world that brings light into the darkest corners of my life and into this world. And he helps us to see his goodness. He is the gate for the sheep who welcomes his children into the fold. He's saying, come, come to me. He is the good shepherd that will protect me when I cannot protect myself. He is the resurrection and the life that makes me a new creation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. When life gets confusing and complicated, I can look to him. And he is the true vine that will help me produce good things. Because apart from him, I can do nothing of worth. We can put our trust. We can go from hope to full trust in the Lord. Knowing that he will not leave us, he will not forsake us. He will carry us through the difficult times. He will be the one to wipe our tears. I've had many tears that I've poured out to the Lord. Pain that is real, pain that is searing almost, but he is like a, a salve that comes and brings healing to the parts in my heart that need, only he can touch. Our God goes beyond hoping, but he instead says, you can do more than hope in me. You can put your full trust in me. I will carry you through to eternity. That is the God that we serve. That was the Jesus that appeared to these two, two people on the road to Emmaus. He was more than the quick fix. He's, he said, I am the one that the prophets told you of. For 400 years, I have come and he has come for you this morning. Perhaps today you've come again and you're looking for something from the Lord and you have a deep need or you're carrying deep hurt and you have pain and you're like, Lord, this is my last resort. I'm coming to you for it. My prayer for you today, for everyone that's sitting here, for anyone that's watching the live stream, is that knowing the truth of who Jesus is, the power that he holds, the love that he holds, that he is reliable, that we can depend on him with every fiber of our being, that like Cleopas and his companion, they wouldn't just know a man, but they would know a savior, a risen savior, that death could not keep him down, but that he was risen with all power from on high. Our hope is fulfilled in Jesus. We can put our trust in him on the bad days, on the good days, on the mundane days, on the days where things are just meh, we can put our trust in him because he has proven himself to us. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? I'm gonna ask the altar team to come forward. If you, again, if you need the Lord to do something, understanding who he is, his, his character, who he is as evidenced in the word of God, that will be the only thing that takes you from hopeless to trust. And if you need to make that step today, would you take that step of faith and come forward and ask for prayer? If you're not able to come to the front, you could put up your hand and one of our altar team or pastors will come and pray with you. But we believe that the Lord has more for you 
that he has a, a, a relationship that he wants to pursue with you. He wants to walk alongside with you. Regardless of what you tell yourself, Jesus wants to walk alongside with you this morning. So would you bow your heads, come forward if you need prayer. Lord, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to understand in the most deep possible way in our heart, in our brain, let the let the the all the pieces just begin to click about who you are. I pray, God, even for the testimonies of the things, of the watering in our lives, what you have done in the past, all the things that you have done to show us your character, that those things would just begin to teach us of the God that is of the Bible, the God that is above all things, and that that would begin to shape us, shape our thinking in a way, God, that we've not experienced before. Lord God, we pray for freedom, we pray, Lord God, for the fullness of Christ as we see in the New Testament for each person in this room. Would you give them the faith, the determination to step forward and to walk with you bravely, Lord God. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness. You are a good, good Father, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. Make sure you share this message with a friend or family member to encourage them today. Head to BethelNE.com to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel New England.